afternoon. My name is John DeVore. I'm one of the pastors of the Riverbank Christian Church, and uh, it's my privilege to preach the word today. And before my brother John Van Dyke uh, reads that, I'd like to do two things. And the first is extend greetings from us in Launceston to you in the name of our Saviour. If you're in Launceston, come and visit. You're welcome in our church, you're welcome at our home, and we'd love to see you. The other thing I want to do is just mention before we read, to give you a snapshot of what's coming. We're going to read two sections from the New Testament. The first, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus gives us his last words on planet Earth. These are Jesus' famous last words. And they are not just random words. They are carefully selected and come from his heart. And they come to us today as words of which it has been said they are the most significant that Jesus ever spoke. You will accept, I think, that the last words of a man and the last words of our Saviour carry special weight. That's our first reading. The second comes from Ephesians 4. And as you read through that, it's all about growing and maturing. And can I ask, as John reads, that you would hold on to those ideas and pick up that theme of growing and maturing. We'll come back to that in a moment. 18, 19 and 20 as being like a sandwich and I want you to grab that sandwich with both hands and feast your heart and mind on it. And tonight we're going to do two things. We're going to look at the sandwich as a whole and take it apart, top and bottom. And then we're going to focus on the middle bit. And we're going to spend a bit of time with that. That's what we're doing tonight. So let's start with a sandwich. Let's have a look. On the top, we have the top layer of the sandwich, which is a statement of power. Jesus says, all authority is mine. Jesus is the king, not just over the church. He is the king over every angel, over every evil spirit, over Satan himself, over this whole world and everything in it. And friends, I put to you, that's a big claim. Can he back it up? Well, think with me of his ministry. Do you recall that story of him in the boat with his disciples and the storm was raging, they thought he, they would drown. He stopped the storm. When people were sick, what did he do? He healed them. When they were dead, he raised them. And when he died, he rose from the dead. Could you do that? Could I? But he did. He has all authority. And he was poised at that point in Matthew 28 to return to the throne room of heaven and be crowned as the exalted and ruling King of Kings. 
And that authority which had been so clearly displayed in his ministry, that authority was going to be expanded even further. That's the top layer of the sandwich, and that's a statement of power. But there's a bottom layer to the sandwich, and it's this wonderful statement, I am with you always. I'd like to ask you a question. What's the difference between Jesus and an ambulance? An ambulance only comes when it's called. It will come, but you have to call it. Jesus is with you always. If you have repented of your sin, if you have put your faith in him as your saviour, this is his promise to you individually. Now why is that so important to know that you're never alone? Why? Because my guess is if you're like me, there are going to be times where you hit the wall, where you're running on empty, where you've got nothing more to give. Or it may well be that one place where you are so terribly alone, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there, he says, I am with you. And that is a wonderful comfort to know that Jesus has wrapped his, his hands, uh, his powerful arms around me and around you as you share this glorious gospel truth, that he holds you in those grace-scarred and nail-pierced hands and he will not ever let you go in this life and the next. That is a comfort and an encouragement. And it's not just for you as an individual. It is for us as churches. I don't know about your church, but I do know mine. And folk in my church, we, we look at this call to disciple the nations. And, and some of us say, how will we ever do that? I have trouble sharing my faith with my neighbour. I'm scared if they ask me a curly question, I won't know what to say or how to answer. And if I can't do that with my neighbour, how are we ever going to disciple Australia, let alone all the other nations? And it goes beyond that, of course. And again, if I can just speak of our congregation, and I'm sure you would share this. You have these outreach ministries, you have the outreach events, the carols, mainly music, whatever it is that you do, that you do. And you can get people to come. They'll come to a barbecue. They'll come to a playgroup. They'll come to a children's ministry thing that you put on in the holidays. You can get them to come. But how do you get them over the roadblock to have them come to faith? Surely that is a big question for us. And here we are as churches. How is that ever going to happen? Jesus comes to us today and he says to us, you are never, ever alone.
All authority is mine. I am with you. Press on. Keep on keeping on. Your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Trust him. He will build his church. And here, as we look at the top and the bottom of that sandwich, friends, would you agree with me there is comfort here? Would you agree there is encouragement here? Would you agree that if we have Jesus' power and Jesus' promise, we actually don't lack for very much? That's the top and the bottom of the sandwich. I'd like to look at the middle because this is where it really starts to remind us of what our core business is. I'm using the words of the NIV 84, which we do in our congregation, slightly different to what you have read here tonight, but the thrust is the same. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is our core business. And if I could just summarize that into one brief phrase, you will see it there, plucked directly out of the text, that we make disciples. And can we focus on that for just a moment? And let's ask the question, is there any other group, club, society, organisation on this earth that can impact and must impact eternity the way the church does? And there isn't. We are touching the future. We are impacting eternity, and, and I mean that not in a human way. What I'm trying to say is it is so important that we understand the unique contribution that our churches can make to Australian society, and I would add to that the necessary contribution we make to Australian society in our day and age. And that is why it is so important that we are very, very clear about this. So let's ask a very basic question. What is a disciple? If we are to make disciples, what do they look like? A disciple is a follower. He follows in the footsteps of his master. And you may have played that game with your children or done it with your grandchildren. Follow the leader. And you know how it goes. They walk forward and so do those who follow. And they stop and the ones behind stop. And they lift their right hand and the ones behind do the same. They follow their leader. And that's how it was in Jesus' day. He came to men who were fishermen. He came to Matthew, who was a tax collector. And he said to them, come and follow me. And they did. They left their nets. They shut up the tax shop. And they followed him. And it's the same today. 
today Jesus comes through his gospel and he calls us, every one of us, to come and to follow him. We hear that word and as his grace and spirit get to work, we suddenly see something we never did. That sin is real, but that grace is greater. And we embrace that with all our heart. And we come to understand that that empty cross of Calvary, stained with blood as it was, was there for me. But it's not the end of the story, because the cross is empty, and the grave is open, and the king has returned to heaven, and he rules and that makes all the difference in the world. And so we realize that our sin is forgiven and we have new life, eternal life, and we have come into the family of God by his grace and nothing is ever the same. And having done that, he begins his work on us as a potter shapes the clay on the wheel and we become more and more like him. What is a disciple? It is a person who has heard the call of Jesus in the gospel and has responded and is now walking in the footsteps of Jesus in everyday life. Not always perfectly, often not consistently, but by grace, through faith, more and more, you think like Jesus and speak like Jesus, you live like Jesus, and you love like him. May I stop for just a moment and ask, have you heard the call of Jesus in the gospel? I am absolutely sure in our churches it is always readily and faithfully and consistently preached. You have heard it, but have you responded? And perhaps your answer is no. And if that is the case, I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. That we have had the opportunity to be together so that we could share with you the very thing your heart is looking for and you have not found. There is a Jesus-shaped hole in your life. And when you find him, you find what your heart has been looking for all along. And here is the tragedy of sin. That the very thing you long for, you look for in the wrong way and in the wrong place. And tonight Jesus is calling you to come to him to find true and eternal life. And I promise you, you will not be sorry. And for what it's worth, I will share my own conviction that there is nothing, nothing that even comes remotely close to the blessing and the privilege of following Jesus. Maybe your answer is yes. You have heard the call of the gospel. But I would like to ask you, 
is Jesus changing you to be more and more like him? Would those who live with you say that in the last 12 months you have become less grumpy and more gracious? Well, that cuts home, doesn't it? Do you know that lovely hymn, Nearer Still Nearer? As you go to church week by week, as you see the birthday candles add one at a time year by year, do you feel within yourself that you are coming nearer, still nearer to your Saviour? That you, you loathe sin more than you once did? And you see grace in a more amazing light than you ever have. That the truth of Jesus in his word has becoming more real and more precious to you. That you are finding when you open the word there is treasure there that you have not found up to this point. And it warms your heart and it helps you. My dear friends, as single people, as husbands, as wives, as widows and widowers, is Jesus changing you as you walk in his footsteps? You see, this is so important. Let me show you something. This rather cute one-year-old is me. So when I showed this to my own congregation, they sort of said, what happened? <laughs> it's a little grainy because I was born in the wrong year. Now just imagine that my father and mother had not fed me and cared for me taught me the Bible and brought me to church. Where would I be at this stage of the game? Imagine that at age 10, I was still sucking milk from a bottle. At age 15, when you would expect a boy to be growing into that sort of transition stage of not quite a man, but on the way there and hair is growing in all sorts of different places and other things are happening and you're looking at girls and you're thinking, wow. But instead of that, I was still playing in the bath at bath time with rubber duckies and at age 15. If you saw that, if you heard about that, you would say, something is wrong. Something is seriously, seriously wrong. Babies should grow. Children should mature. That's the way God planned it. And it's the same for Jesus' disciples. We read that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 
And tonight I won't be going through the whole time. I just asked that we would pick up some of the themes in it. May I read these verses for you again? And they're just a snapshot. They highlight something. Until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up. We will grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a person who follows Jesus and becomes more like him. He grows and it shows. And just as we saw in Jesus' original disciples, so increasingly we must be asking the Lord that we too would be looking to make disciples and grow them under his blessing. Now we're going to start taking the centre section of that sandwich apart. I want to come back to the Great Commission proper and I want to look at, at some of the words here. In our going or as you go, because the big question is, how do you make disciples? And there are three verbs, three doing words in this passage which explain how that works. As you go. Now please notice the direction here. It is not given to the people who don't come to church and who live in our communities. It is not saying to them, you go to church and hear the gospel. It is saying to us, you go to them, and you bring them the word of truth. Now, this going could be a mission trip, short or long term, and of course they have wonderful blessings and benefits, but it's not just about mission work. It's about life. As you go to work, as you speak with your children, as you have a chat with your neighbour over the fence, as you go, have in your mind this vision of making disciples and growing them. Now please understand, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. These words of Jesus are there for our encouragement. And let's not forget we have the top and bottom layers of the sandwich we have that all there. What I would like us to do is catch the vision of what Jesus is doing in the time between Matthew 28 and the fulfilment of what he looked forward to in Revelation 7 in our time. What is Jesus doing? He is rescuing lost humanity. He is bringing people into his kingdom through the gospel. He is changing them into his likeness. He is preparing them for eternity and he wants you and you and you to be part of that because you are his hands and feet. 
You are his mouth here on this planet. That's the vision of what he can do through ordinary, everyday believers like you and me. And of course what he can do through his church. But it's not just in our going. Jesus had more to say. He spoke about baptising. And I guess, friends, if I was to ask, pretty much everybody here has got a phone. Please put up your hands if you've got a phone. That's pretty much everybody. Who's got a smartphone? That's pretty much everybody too. Who of you would go back to a flip phone? Who of you would go back to the original mobile phone which was the size of a brick and you had to carry it with a handle? You wouldn't do that. Why not? Because it's been superseded. It used to work, but it doesn't work anymore. And it's the same in God's covenant. Let's not forget what happened in the weeks prior to our text in Matthew 28. There was the Last Supper with the disciples where Jesus spoke about the new covenant in his blood. There was the cross where that new covenant came into play. There was the curtain of the temple that was torn in two from top to bottom. And now no longer was there a need for a temple because Jesus was the temple. No longer was there a need for blood because Jesus' blood had been shed. So in his covenant, which up to that point had had the sign of circumcision, which always involved the shedding of blood, something had to change. It was a new chapter and the old sign of the covenant was going to be superseded. Jesus was going to institute a new, a new sign and the sign was baptism. Washing with water, union with Christ being the symbolism there. Why? Because circumcision just, just didn't do the job anymore. And in the early missionary era of the New Testament church, when no one was baptised, that's what happened. People who came to faith received the sign of that covenant. And it was like a tattoo, although you couldn't see it. But God could, and they knew it, that their God had marked them. And they had come to be a people who said, I belong to Jesus. I belong to his church. I'm part of his mission. I want to follow him. And then, of course, their children were baptised also, as we still do today. And perhaps you're here today, and you've been baptised, and you do follow Jesus I don't know about the Casey Church, but I know in my church, one of the issues we're facing is that people love Jesus and want to follow him, but 
pro-faith, they, they just can't come at. And there may be different reasons for that, but I want to encourage you that doing your pro-faith is important. It's important for you. It's important for your church family. It's important as you commit yourself to this new covenant that you understand what that covenant sign was so many years ago in your own life. So there's going and there's baptizing, but we, we have one more verb, don't we? One more doing word. It is teaching them to obey. And friends, I ask you, what could be more boring than that? Than teaching. And today, what could be more confronting than to say to an Aussie that you obey everything that Jesus has commanded? Because in our culture today, as lovely as so many people are, for them, it's their life. They make up the rules. They decide what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's not. And yet, teaching is the mark of the Spirit-filled church in Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And under the blessing of God, as people came out of that society, they just loved to hear the word of God faithfully preached, properly applied, because it made sense of what otherwise was a dark and difficult society. And today nothing has changed. The point still remains that a learning church will be a growing church. And that is what we must strive for. And friends, if I may share with you, it is my belief that we are living today in Australia in a time of unprecedented social change. Australia is changing at a rate I do not believe we have seen, at least in my estimation. And it is not just that the goalposts have shifted. The goalposts have gone. I don't know how many of you saw SBS Insight program last week. Jenny Brockie was, had the audience and a panel there, and it was on open marriage. There was a couple there who had been married for 20 years, and you hear that and you think that's commendable. And she asked the guy, how many years has this marriage been open? He said, oh, 19. They had children, four, five, I think. 19 years where he and she had multiple partners and they had their own children. They don't think it's weird. The kids think it's fine. And a family like that could move next door to you. They think that you're weird. My son's neighbours sold up. Another family bought the home next door and moved in. 
It was a same-sex couple, female in this case, and they had a little baby. My granddaughter at that point, who was 11, she looked at that and she thought, that's different. The two boys who were under her, who were about nine and seven at that point, they didn't see it. So mum and dad had to sit them down at the table and say, this is not God's plan. But it does happen. I didn't have to do that with my children. But my grandchildren have to hear that. And in our synod this week, we're going to be looking at same-sex marriage and some might argue we should have done this years ago. Maybe you're right. But at least we're doing it. And there are pastoral guidelines for the church. Because what's your church going to do when a gay couple comes to church? How do you handle that? Friends, we need to be taught from the gospel again and again about the truth about Jesus' plan about how we deal with that in today's society it is a society of untruth it is a time of truth decay and I ask you where where in this nation can people come to find an oasis of truth? And it's in the word of God, as that word is faithfully preached and properly applied. And I think of the many, the many who live with bitterness, with broken hearts, with busted marriages, and broken families, and they are everywhere. It is a time of ungrace. Where will these people go to hear about the grace of God, who in his mercy and compassion sent his son into a broken world to heal broken people, and get their lives back together again. And people don't get this. They understand wages. They understand payment for services rendered, but they don't get grace. Where will they hear this message and find this life-giving oasis, this life-renewing story, if not from your lips, if not from your witness? if not from your pulpit. And I would urge us brothers in the preaching of the word of God again and again, week by week, to teach with clarity, to teach with compassion, to teach in a credible way so that at the end of the sermon people will say, I get that. I could follow that easily. I have seen God and the gospel and I have understood the importance of that and the relevance of that. So that having heard that, 
as we gather Sunday by Sunday, we can then scatter throughout the week and we can gossip that truth of the gospel to others who need to hear it and to ourselves that we be encouraged. If ever there was a time in Australia's history where we needed faithful and clear preaching and proper understanding, etc., etc., we need it now. And it's not just the preachers. It's you who are Bible study leaders and gems and cadets leaders and so on. And it's parents as you teach your children. Because you see, the need is great. We have sung, Lord, save Australia. The need is great. And the time is short. Friends, What's our core business? What's the one thing that must capture our hearts? It's this that we, that we make and grow disciples. May I ask you, as I have had to ask myself, how much attention do I give to this? Is this my priority? Is this how I seek, uh, think? And may I encourage you with the power and promise of Jesus before you that you would give yourself to thinking and praying about the possibility of befriending someone and asking them, perhaps someone new to the faith or someone with no faith, and asking them whether they'd like to read the Bible with you and pray. Can I ask you that? And parents, we all want the best for our children. I'm a grandparent now. I want the best for my grandchildren. But what does Jesus want? He wants us who are parents to understand that we actually have the mission field around our dinner table each night, that we tuck them into bed We pray for them and we pray with them. He wants us to understand we are not just parents. We are disciples. And he wants us to make disciples and grow disciples of these children under his blessing, the children they have entrusted to us. And my brothers and sisters in your churches and in my church, there is much that we could be busy with. Causes such as social justice and Christian education and politics and there are others. But what is the one thing, the core business, that ought to occupy our agenda and be reflected in our budget and be seen in our plans for the year? It is this, that we make and grow disciples. And as we come Sunday by Sunday, May I encourage you as you come to come with an open heart, to invite others to come as well, to come with an open mind and to be praying to God that you will understand the Bible better, that your love for him will grow and that having been refreshed at the oasis of his grace that you will go out into the world as he scatters you through the week, renewed, and enabled 
as part of his mission, the mission of the king. And as you go, do not forget. Never, ever forget. Always remember the words of our king. His famous last words. You remember what we called them? A sandwich. A sandwich we want to grab with both hands and feed our heart and head on. Remember the top? Power. All authority is Jesus. Remember the bottom? Promise. I am with you always. And bracketed by that, in the middle, that call to give ourselves to making disciples and growing them in our lives, in our families, in our churches, and in our city. That that become the umbrella under which everything fits, the lens by which we view all things. That is our core business. And the beautiful thing is, dear friends, it will be for his glory. It will be for your good. It will be for the good of your church. And it will be for the good of our nation. And that, I trust, we can keep in mind. With that in view, let us give ourselves.